So um, I am going to deviate from our Luke series that we've been in, and I'm going to preach from John this morning. Um, so how many of you, so uh, some of you in the room are parents, and you know this phenomenon, but some of you may remember this phenomenon when you were a child. Do you know about this uh, strategy when a child gets hurt of the mommy kiss or the daddy kiss? Right, so when a child gets injured, scrapes a knee, screaming, and just comes to mom for a kiss or to dad for a kiss, and suddenly everything is fine, right? It's just this magic weapon when a child gets hurt. And that works for a little while, but recently one of my kids was like, yeah, mom, that doesn't really work anymore. I'm like, oh, really? That's so sad. But as we, as we get older, our experience of pain becomes more complex. It's not just bumps and bruises. Obviously, our experience of pain as we age becomes more complicated, and we see that even in an eight-year-old. We cannot ex escape the experience of pain living in a world that is broken, and we get hurt not just physically but emotionally. Pain is something that all of us, this is part of the universal human experiences that we will experience pain. And so this morning I want to look at um, a passage from John where Jesus encounters people who are in pain and speaks life into their pain. And so I'm going to read um, from John chapter 11 this morning if you want to follow along. Um, so a little context before the passage that I actually read. So Jesus receives a word that his friend Lazarus is sick. And he's friends with this family, so Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And he hears that Lazarus is sick, and they, they send word to Jesus, and they basically indirectly ask him to come because they believe that Jesus can heal him. But Jesus doesn't come. He stays where he is and continues preaching where he is. And then this is where we pick up in, um, in chapter 11. I'm going to start from verse 17. On his arrival, so he comes later. He comes four days later. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so just a little background to understand this passage in context. So Jesus arrives in Bethany where Lazarus is, and it says that he's been in the tomb for four days. Now, according to ancient Jewish belief, the soul of a dead person would return to the body every day for three days to see if the body would return to life. And so by the fourth day, the soul would leave for good. So this detail that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days is very important and is included so that we know that Lazarus is really dead. There is absolutely no other way to understand what's happening to Lazarus. He is not in a coma. He is not just asleep. He is dead. Four days in the tomb. And the family and the community is in mourning. And so a practice practiced by these, this Jewish community and also by Jewish communities today is the practice of sitting Shiva. And so this is when family and friends would come to the house of the family. So if this was your immediate family member, you would stay in the house and just sit and receive visitors. You would not work. You would not go out of the house. You would not do anything. Everybody else would take care of you. Your job, if you are in mourning, for seven days after the person dies, is four days sit, die, mourn, and to grieve. And so that is when Jesus arrives, four days after Lazarus died, they are in the middle of this shiva. And so this is when Jesus arrives, and Martha hears that he's coming, and she breaks shiva to go out and meet him. And that's significant as well. She's supposed to stay in her house, and she runs out to confront Jesus as he's arriving. She hears that he's coming. And she confronts him with this question that we then hear repeated through the passage a couple different times and in a couple different ways. But she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She breaks Shiva to go out and confront Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, why didn't you come? Why did you let him die? Why did you stay where you were? What were you thinking? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha says that in verse 21. And then Mary says the exact same thing in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then later in verse 37, the crowds say a similar version. Couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? It's this chorus that repeats throughout the passage. In the midst of their grief, everyone in this story comes to the same conclusion. Jesus could have or should have done something to keep this pain from happening, to keep Lazarus from dying. They believe that Jesus has the power to heal, so they believe that he could have done something, but it's past tense. Jesus, if you had done this, this wouldn't have happened. Past tense. We believe that you could have done something. And when we are in pain... That is a place that we often go. And this question of why, why did you let this happen? That's a magnetic question when we're in pain. 
Maybe some of you have asked that question. God, why did you allow this to happen? It is something that kind of draws our hearts when we are experiencing something that is wrong or painful. And so what is really interesting to me in this moment where Martha goes out and confronts Jesus, they have this exchange here on the road. Jesus um, says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. So this is something that nearly all faithful Jews believed, that at the end of time, there would be a resurrection, that all the dead would be raised someday. And so in this moment, Martha responds to Jesus with the right answer, like the Sunday school answer, in quotes. She knows kind of good Jewish teaching. She knows good theology, basic theology. She's just answering with this pat religious answer. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he'll rise again one day. And I think sometimes in our culture, we have the same kind of instincts to just search for the pat answer when in the face of that why question. I think we search for something that just feels like that's the Band-Aid answer, that's the, that's the low-hanging fruit that I can grab onto. And so I think some of those answers are um, things like everything happens for a reason, right? You've, maybe some of you have said that or heard that or believed that when you're in pain, or it must have been God's will. That's another answer that we kind of apply like a Band-Aid, and like just grab that low-hanging, kind of faithful, in quotes, answer to apply onto our pain. But I think, I think these answers are attractive to us when we are in pain because they help us to believe that our pain is meaningful and purposeful, that we will benefit somehow, everything happens for a reason, that it's sort of like, um, like a tattoo. You endure the pain for, for the thing that you're going to get. Or childbirth is a meaningful pain. And so when we say everything happens for a reason, there's this sense that, well, this is really hard, but something good is going to come from it. But it's this vague thing that we don't even, what does that even mean? Okay, so there's this uh, way that we're drawn to that because it, it gives us hope that there's some meaning to our pain. Um, and then I think there's, uh, the other reason that these answers are attractive is it gives us some sense of faith or faithfulness in God without actually asking God to explain himself. We just apply these things, but we keep God at an arm's length. We don't actually have a conversation with God about our pain. We just say, everything happens for a reason. It must have been God's will. There's no relationship there. There's no conversation there. It's just a pat answer. Are you following me? Does this make sense? Okay. So I think when we are dealing with serious pain, suffering, loss, these kind of situations in our lives, I think these things are not helpful. And I think this is why. First of all, I think it's problematic to say that God is behind suffering of any kind. Theologically, the cause of all suffering is sin, is the brokenness of the world, is evil. God has been waging war against death and brokenness and pain since the beginning of time, since Genesis 3. We talked about this last week. And so in our effort to acknowledge God's sovereignty and the complexity of that, we need to be careful 
about assigning responsibility to God that actually belongs to sin and evil. So we need to be careful about that. And some of you in the room need to hear this this morning, that the thing that is uh, the, the, some suffering in your life, that God did not cause that. There's no lesson. God did not cause that to teach you something. God can absolutely work in the middle of whatever that thing is, but God is not the author of suffering, and that's really, really important. And then I think the second reason that those kind of pat answers are unhelpful in the face of suffering is that they minimize our experience of grief in the present moment. They minimize our, emotion, our emotional response to suffering. Um, and so I think if you've been in pain and somebody has given you one of those answers, I, I, it hurts a little bit sometimes, right? It's almost like chin up, don't cry, don't be sad, have faith. Everything happens for a reason. You're basically saying you shouldn't experience pain. And what we see in the scriptures is that Jesus doesn't respond that way at all. Jesus weeps at Lazarus's tomb. So anyway, I think that's what's happening for Martha in this first interaction, is that she is engaging this problem of her brother dying and Jesus not coming. She's engaging this with her head, with the best answers that she has. But both of the sisters confront Jesus with the same question. And I want to look at Mary's interaction with Jesus, because this is where I think I want to encourage us to live, is in Mary's question and response to Jesus. So Mary, her interaction is quite different. So even though she speaks the same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same things. In that moment, she falls at Jesus' feet and weeps. She falls at his feet and weeps. She offers this raw and unfiltered expression of grief. And it's very similar to her raw, unfiltered expression of adoration when she anointed Jesus' feet. Same Mary. And this raw, unfiltered expression of grief is then shared and echoed by all the mourners who've come with her as she encounters Jesus. They all begin to weep. And then the text says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And so what we see in this moment is not Jesus who's sort of a uh, distant force of the universe God standing far off, arranging chess pieces to produce some kind of outcome. We see a very present person with emotions, who cares deeply for his friends. When we are in pain, it troubles God. It troubles him. This is not the express. You wouldn't say that about someone who caused this. It troubled Jesus. Some scholars believe that a more accurate translation of the word troubled is angry, that Jesus is actually angry in this moment. And who's he angry at? Is he angry at Mary and Martha for not having faith? Is he angry at Lazarus for dying? I think Jesus is angry at death itself. God is troubled by the brokenness of the world. He designed the world 
perfectly. He designed us to not experience death. And that was all damaged in Genesis 3. Again, we, we talked about this a bit last week if you were here. This emotion rising up in Jesus is not at them. It's at death itself. So I think we make sense of Jesus' tears. Jesus wept. When we understand that the brokenness of the world and the pain of his friends actually breaks the heart of God. And so I think that's really important to understand. So um, the pivot point in the passage for me is verse 34. Jesus says, where have you laid him? Where have you laid Lazarus? And Mary and the Jews with her reply, come and see. Come and see where we have laid him. And I think that that is actually the most significant phrase in the passage. So what Mary is doing here, she's not trying to explain it away. She's not trying to figure it out. She's just inviting Jesus to the epicenter of her pain. She is inviting Jesus to come and look and to see where the body is. She's inviting Jesus closer. He says, where have you laid him? Where is the tomb? She doesn't even just factually answer. She says, come and see. And she brings Jesus to the tomb. And so I think the difference between these two things, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And come and see. These two different postures. The first is a closed question. It's not even really a question. But it's assuming that nothing can be done right now. Jesus failed. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why didn't you do whatever you could have done? It's a closed assumption. Come and see is something that will open up possibilities. We don't know what Jesus is going to do next, but it could be anything. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It kind of shuts down the conversation and shuts down the relationship. Come and see opens up the possibilities, opens up the relationship, opens up the possibility that Jesus could do something next. The other thing that this phrase, come and see, reminds me of is, so this is in the Gospel of John, John 11. In John 1, the disciples are, uh, that John's disciples see Jesus, and they ask him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he doesn't answer their question. He says, come and see. So Jesus is the other one in John who uses this phrase, come and see. And the contrast there to me is that Jesus utters the phrase, come and see, to invite human beings into his life. And then in John 11, humans utter the phrase, come and see, to invite Jesus into their experience of death. That contrast there is a beautiful contrast. Jesus it says, come and see into his life. We say to Jesus, come and see into our death, into our pain. So I think the, the question that I want to invite with this question of come and see. I don't know about you, but times that I have experienced pain or suffering, loss in my life, there have been times where I have wanted to just escape that pain. I don't want to deal with the thing that hurts. I have been through different seasons in my life of grief 
And there were times where I really just wanted to avoid my experience of pain. But the moments that have brought the most fruit in my life have been when I have actually intentionally invited the Lord to come and look at what hurts. I, in those moments of honestly telling the Lord, I am in pain, I need your help, that's where the life begins. I think there are so many things that we do to shove our pain down, to explain it away, to numb it. And Jesus, and what we see in this passage, is that he actually wants to go there with us. And so the first question that I have this morning is, if Jesus were to ask you, where have you laid him, or where have you laid it? Where is the tomb in your life? What would your answer be? Is it sort of a factual answer? Is it a, oh, I'm good? Or is it, come and see, Jesus, look. Look into my life. Come and see this with me. So, thankfully, the story doesn't end at this moment. The story doesn't end with them just looking at the tomb and weeping. So I want to continue reading in chapter 11, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So what is happening in this moment, as Mary has invited Jesus to the tomb to see the epicenter of her pain, to look into the tomb, to look into the, you know, with the odor and everything that is embarrassing and difficult about this moment, what happens next is very simple. Jesus speaks, and his voice raises something to life that was dead. And that is what the voice of God always does. The voice of God always speaks life into death. The voice of God generates life where there was nothing. So when we think about Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. God's voice speaks into darkness and brings light. What happened? What happened? Oh, thank you, Matt. <laughs> like, what did I say? Um, God's voice speaks into darkness and light happens. God's voice speaks into tombs and life happens. God's voice generates life where there was None. 
in that Hebrew, uh, in, the, in the Genesis verse, uh, verse 2, the Hebrew word for formless and empty is a, a fun word to say, tohu vavohu. It's formless and empty. It's void. It's something that lacks space. It's very much like a tomb. A tomb is empty. There is absolutely nothing that can happen in a tomb except decomposition. And God's voice in Jesus, speaks into that tomb, and Lazarus comes out. When things die, we tend to bury them, right? That's what we do when things die. We bury them. We dig a hole in the dirt, and we put that thing in there, and we cover it over, and then we walk away because death is an ending in our minds. Death is an ending. Nothing is going to happen in that tomb, but Jesus changes all of that. When we invite Jesus to the tomb, when God speaks into that tomb, whatever dead thing is in in there no longer acts like a dead thing. It actually acts like a seed. When God speaks, dead things act like seeds and tombs act like gardens. When God speaks, Lazarus's body becomes a seed that actually produces life. When God speaks, that tomb is no longer a tomb. It's actually a garden. It's a place where things grow. And that's what God does in our life. This is who Jesus is. He's the resurrection and the life. From the beginning of time, God has been about restoring all things, putting the broken world that broke in Genesis 3, putting that all back together And in Jesus, all of this comes to a burning focus. In response to God's voice, dead things act like seeds and tombs act like gardens. So in my life, that has been true. There have been things, so one season that I'll share just briefly. In 2012, I lost a baby. I had a miscarriage, and that was a very, 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 very painful season for me. Very difficult And that was a time where I really just wanted to explain it. I wrestled with all the theology. That was kind of my first phase was like, God, I don't, like, tell me why. And I wrestled through all the, like, I mean, just constant spinning about that. And then there were times where I really wanted to escape it and numb it and avoid it. And then finally, there was an invitation to say, God, just come and be with me in this pain. Just sit with me in my pain. Be my brother who understands suffering and sit with me. And in that place, God began to speak. And I had this experience at a Thanksgiving dinner, maybe the next year after that, where I thought about, you know, just the dread of having to answer the question as we go around the Thanksgiving table, what are you thankful for this year? And I was in so much pain, and we were having trouble getting pregnant again. And I couldn't think of anything to be thankful for. I thought that I couldn't. And then I'm sitting there at the table, and I realized, actually, what I'm thankful for is what God has grown out of this tomb in my life. I know that I will see my daughter again one day. I know that. But in, the, in this life, I actually have experienced resurrection in this place. I do not have that baby in my arms But I have an intimacy with Jesus that I never had before like that. I have an understanding of heaven and the resurrection of the body that I had never had before like that. 
And there had been just incredible fruit that God grew in my life when I invited him to come and see my pain. Stopped trying to explain it, stopped trying to avoid it, but actually said, come and see. And so that's what I believe about pain. I think it's worth wrestling through the theology. I do. I think there are good answers. I think we are a culture that loves to numb pain. And so I think it's worth examining the ways that you avoid pain in your life. And then, yeah, I think finally it's the invitation when Jesus says, where have you laid it? Where have you laid him? That you say, come and see, and then allow him to speak. And I, I can say this very confidently, that when you ask Jesus to speak into a tomb, he will speak. His voice generates life. God has a word for you. If you're in pain this morning, God has a word for you. And that word generates life. It may not fix the broken thing the way you want it to, right? I don't have this baby in my arms. But it will always produce life. And so this morning, I just want to invite us as we move into worship to think about where are the places where we need God's resurrection power, his voice to speak into something that's dead in our life. I don't know what that is for you, but I can think of a few things in my life right now that I'm like, that, that thing hurts, or that thing is dead, and I actually need the voice of God to speak life, and he will, he will, he is the resurrection and the life. We don't just wait for the end of time to experience resurrection. We experience the life of heaven in the here and now because Jesus is king and he has authority and in his words are life. So I'm going to pray over us and then we'll move into communion. That's what we're doing next. Let me pray. Jesus, you are good. You are near. Lord, we believe that that you are here right in this moment. And God, I thank you that your voice is a voice that speaks life, that raises dead things to life, that raises Lazarus to life, and raises things to life every day. Jesus, we bring you the very real places in our life that, that are painful, the tombs that we have, God. We ask that you would give us the courage to invite you closer. Lord, we want to say, come and see. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to show you this thing. God, give us courage this morning. And then give us hope and faith that as you look at the places in our lives that are broken, that you weep because it breaks your heart, God. And then you speak life. Lord, we need your voice this morning. We need to hear the words of life. And so God, would you speak and would you bring hope and bring resurrection? We pray this in Jesus' name.